My name is Kent. I'm one of the staff here, and I'm so grateful that you're here this morning to be part of our service and um, dig back into the book of Philippians, one of the great, joyous books filled with gratitude, and um, let's dive right in. So if you want to open back up to Philippians chapter 1, that'd be awesome. If you brought your Bible along, you can open that up, or you can grab a Bible out of the chair, or open up your phone or your whatever device you read on. And open up your Bible app, Philippians chapter 1, toward the last quarter of the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians 1. Uh, Before we read this together, I want to offer you this prayer. The Lord be with you. So this whole series is based on the verses that um, John shared with us. I just want to keep reviewing those for us because I think they're so, uh, um, so alive with joy, and that steers the direction of the entire book. So it starts in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day and not until now, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Now, jump down to verse 18. Philippians 1.18. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he's giving thanks there for God's deliverance. And then he talks about that throughout the rest of the book. And now I want you to flip all the way back to the last chapter, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to come back to that middle section in the next couple of weeks, but I wanted to put the bookends on the book here. So Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only." For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied, for now I have received from Epaphrodites the gifts that you sent. They are fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word and it's true and we can rely on it. 
My dad, when he was probably near 80, took a walk one day, and as he was walking along, he heard a voice that said, Hey, mister! And so he looked around, and he spotted a little frog sitting on the grass. And the frog looked up at him and said, Hey, mister, a wicked witch has cast a spell on me, and if you give me a kiss, I will turn into a beautiful princess. And my dad scooped down and picked up that frog and stuck it in his pocket. And then he heard again, Hey, mister, did you hear me? I said, I am a beautiful princess, and if you gave me a kiss, I would turn back into that, and I would be very grateful. And my dad looked at the frog and said, yeah, I heard you, but at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. (laughs) Okay, if that one doesn't do it for you, how about this one? Apparently, former Olympic skier Peekaboo Street recently donated a bunch of money to a local hospital. In gratitude, the hospital named their critical care unit after her. It's now called Peekaboo ICU. Good? All right, one more. There was this world-famous painter, and she was in the prime of her career, and she started to lose her eyesight. And so she thought she would not be able to paint anymore, so she went to see an ophthalmologist, and after consulting with him, she had eye surgery and weeks of treatment, and her eyesight was restored. So out of gratitude, she went back to paint the doctor's office, and on one wall, she painted this giant eyeball. And uh, when she finally finished this up, they called the press conference to unveil this, and they had everyone there and revealed this beautiful portrait of this eyeball in, in exacting detail. And one of the reporters there turned to the doctor and said, what do you think about this painting? And do you have a res- response to that? And the doctor said, yeah, I'm, I thank the heavens I'm not a proctologist. <laughs> okay. Now, gratitude and joy can be expressed sincerely and insincerely. Uh, If we're offering gratitude sincerely, we might say something like, thanks a lot, and we exclamation point and with a smile on our face. If we offer our gratitude sarcastically, we might say, thanks a lot with the eye rolling, and you get the difference, right? If I tell a really good joke, you go, thanks a lot, and some of you are going to tell those jokes later today. I know you are. And some of you maybe don't appreciate that, and so you're saying thanks a lot. As we've been looking at the letter of Philippians, we've seen that this is a letter that is overflowing with gratitude and joy. You can't read any paragraph in this entire letter without getting a sense of like, this is genuine gratitude and joy. It's just flowing out of Paul. He can't stop himself. And we saw last week that it actually turned Paul from this crabby guy into this happy guy. He seems to be a completely different guy because he's so grateful for these people and the partnership that he had with them. So we understand that Paul wrote this letter about 50 AD, about 30 years, uh, 20 years after Christ died, to a people who he had met when he was taking his second missionary journey. Paul took three different journeys. This is in the middle one. And he had such a connection with these people that were in this community that he talked about them as having a special place in his heart. He felt a special affection and a deep longing to be with these people. The letter was in response to their concerns for him 
over his, impri- over his imprisonment. So he's now in prison, and they heard about it, and they were concerned, and so they actually began to send him gifts. They started to support him and to provide care for him. And Paul, when he recognizes this outpouring of generosity, he says to them, thanks a lot. This is amazing. In fact, he says, you guys gave when no one else was giving. And he was really impressed with that. Because of their generosity, Paul says, I give my thanks to God, a sincere, non-sarcastic thank you for the privilege of serving with them, for the privilege of believing in Christ, for the privilege of sharing the gospel. And then there's one other thing that Paul gives thanks for and considers to be a privilege, and that is the privilege of suffering with you. I read that and I go, that's a different take on things. But I shouldn't be surprised because Paul has had this attitude before. I'm looking at a passage now in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul says this, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from the false believers. I've labored and toiled and I have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides all of this, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And you know what he says right after that? Thanks be to God. Really, thanks a lot. He's praising God for these hardships, for these sufferings. Now, as soon as I read this kind of thing, I'm brought up short because I recognize how I would probably respond. I'm probably going to respond more like, yeah, right. Thanks be to God with a sarcastic eye roll. That's how I would respond. Imprisonment, shipwreck, beating, life-threatening danger. Would we consider that a privilege? Paul did. Maybe if we were forced into this, we might endure it, which is a long way from deep gratitude, sacrificial generosity, or heartfelt praise. Maybe we endure it, but not without complaining. I, I've known some people who said this to me. They said, I can handle almost anything as long as I can whine about it. That's how we usually take suffering and hardship, right? But Paul isn't whining. This is amazing to me when I read through the entire book. There's not one whine in the entire book. It's overflowing with this gratitude and, and gratefulness. He's smiling and he's giving thanks. Even more than that, he's boasting. He's boasting in it, in their suffering, in his suffering, in the hardships that he's had, in the, in the advance of the gospel. He's boasting about it. I'm torn between the two. There's this little section that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks about this, you know, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is Christ. You can't go wrong. Right after that, he writes this. I'm torn between the two. I, des- I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more necessary for me to remain here. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for the progress and joy in your faith so that through my being with you, you again can boast about Christ. That's what he wants. Whatever comes, whether it's 
hardship or joy, suffering or delight, he gives thanks and praises. That's what he wants to boast about. So I'm going to suggest that throughout this book, there's three invitations that we might consider. The first one is smile even though your heart aches. Sometimes, you know, we need to put a little smile on our pumpkins and we don't necessarily feel the joy in the moment. Read back through this book with that idea in mind. Does Paul invite us to smile even though our hearts sometimes are filled with aching and suffering? There is room still to delight. The second thing I think he invites us to consider is this. Serve even though your calling is difficult. I mean, we are wired to be, let's take the path of least resistance, right? Let's take the easy route. But oftentimes our callings involved huge challenges, great difficulties. And Paul says, well, keep serving. Give thanks. Thanks a lot for shipwrecks and beatings and danger. Serve though your calling is difficult. And then the third thing that he brings up is Give even though your resources are limited. He thanks these people for supporting his ministry even though they didn't have a lot to give. They kept giving. If I were Paul, I might say to God, thanks a lot with a sarcastic tone. But that's not Paul's mode at all. He says, don't wait for the right circumstances to give thanks, to rejoice, to praise, to be generous. Give. And rejoice and celebrate and praise and boast about what God is doing. Can't, we can't wait for our circumstances to improve. And Paul is very transparent here. He admits that he would personally prefer death to the suffering that he's in. So the suffering must be pretty intense. But he says, whatever God brings, I'll follow. I'll smile even though my heart aches and I'll serve even though my calling is difficult and I'll keep giving even though my resources are limited. And so he picks up on these themes of joy, gratitude, service, and generosity. As we've been thinking about the Grow the Good campaign, we wanted to really focus on this truth in this passage and then also see how that gets played out here in our community. And so we've asked a number of different people to give testimonies or give us some thoughts about what that looks like. And as I was going through some of these testimonies, I noticed that there was a couple that actually picked up on the same themes that Paul picked up on here, and they saw them being played out in their own life, and we wanted to give you a chance to hear those too. So I'd like to have you just listen to these testimonies on this video. You know, it's easy for me to say that I love God or I love Jesus, but how do I show my love in a more measurable kind of way? You know, if if I tell my wife, Jill, or our kids that I love them, but I never give them any time or gifts or attention, my words really don't mean a whole lot. And so I believe the same thing is true with God. I can say that I love him, but I personally need to offer gifts back to him to outwardly express what is in my heart. And I believe that that's consistent with what it says in the book of James, where it says, faith without works is dead. Well, uh, being a good steward uh, doesn't mean that things are always going to be easy. And uh, so uh, after I'd been married for about 12 years, uh, my wife developed uh, 
uh, a uh, brain tumor, and uh, she had uh, difficulties for about three and a half years, and then she had brain surgery, and the doctors uh, told us that everything would, uh, the surgery was successful, everything would turn out right. Well, it didn't turn out well at all, and she developed uh, uh, aphasia, meaning that she could not communicate, write, or speak. Uh, and uh, she also had a right side paralysis. And so we had about three and a half years of, uh, of uh, very high medical bills. I had to sell. We had an RV. I had to sell that. We had a, uh, a lot on a lake, and we had to sell that. And uh, so, you know, following Christ doesn't mean that, uh, and being a good steward doesn't mean that you're not going to have hard times. But uh, it does teach that uh, God is faithful, and uh, he won't uh, ask us to, uh, to deal more than, than he's able to, to help us through. And so I've had several experiences like that in my life. One time I was out of a job for uh, six months and uh, had a, fortunately had a severance that covered part of those expenses. And uh, uh, the last week before the severance ran out, I had two job offers. And I hadn't had any job offers since that, uh, during that previous time. So I've, I've learned through the years that uh, not only from my own experience, but also from my study of the Bible, Christ had more to say about money than almost anything uh, else in the, in, the, in the Gospels. And uh, probably uh, the, the biggest uh, passage that most people are aware of is in, in Matthew 6, where he talks about uh, where your treasure is, that we're not to lay up treasures here on earth where moth and rust uh, uh, consume, but to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And uh, I think from that I, I've, I've learned in similar passages that uh, everything that I have, it, it belongs to God. That uh, it's not mine, but it's God's. And then that God asked me to be a steward, a good steward of that. And there are other passages in the Bible where Christ talks about stewardship and the good steward and the foolish steward. And uh, also talks about the place where the rich young ruler came, came to Christ. And uh, 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 Christ asked him to, follow, to give up what he had and to follow him, and he couldn't do that. And so I think the lessons I've learned are, one, that uh, one, God is a much better giver than we can ever give to him. And uh, that he owns everything. He owns everything that I have. And uh, because of that... He asked that I be a, a good steward, a faithful steward of that. And uh, that uh, the, I think another message is that it's, it's a lot more blessed to, to give than to receive. And so by, by giving, by uh, going above and beyond the 10% and being a, uh, a gracious and a, a wholehearted giver, that even the, the, the blessings for that increase. And uh, that uh, the real joy uh, is in the blessing in, in giving. And uh, that uh, another thing I think I've learned over the years is that uh, uh, this world is not our home. This earth is not our home. Our home's in heaven. And because of that, that's, that's the focus of our giving. Um, you know, I really try to let God's Spirit live through me every day and to keep my human nature at bay. Um, but I think that everybody knows that, you know, sometimes just life gets in the way. Um, and that's really hard. And so... Um, I can lose my focus on God's desire for my life. Um, so regular giving helps me to reset my priorities and to know that God is really what matters 
in my life. Jesus told us to seek you first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Giving is a good way for me to put God's kingdom first and for me to push back on my human nature that tries to tell me that I should keep more of my money because I deserve more stuff. That's not putting God's kingdom first. Talking about money can sometimes seem to me like kind of a earthly thing to do, and sometimes it feels like it's a challenge to you know, bring it up and to actually get concrete about it in a service like this. As I was thinking about that and reading through the book of Philippians, I was very hard-pressed to find any place in the book of Philippians where Paul separated the, the kingdom of God and the work of ministry from the reality of everyday existence. And that the partnership with the gospel that these people in Philippians had with Paul certainly included proclaiming the good news of faith in Christ, but it also included caring for him and feeding him meals and providing support when he was in prison and giving generously to his ministry. These things all seem very intertwined. And to help us understand even a little bit more where Paul was coming from, listen to these words from, this is from the letter to the Corinthians, who were also known to be a very generous people. This is from 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us as well. So two things struck me in prepping for this. One, I don't know if I've ever pleaded with God to give me suffering or boasted about the suffering that I've experienced. And I don't know if I've ever pleaded or begged anyone to allow me to give them more. And yet these are both things that Paul experienced and these churches in Macedonia experienced. And these churches were going through extremely difficult times. We know from the history that they were very poor. They were so deep in poverty, in fact, that Paul didn't even approach them at the first He didn't even go to them and say, hey, you guys want to give to the poor fund to help the Jerusalem Christians because they were poor. And then they came to him and they said, no, we want to give. Give us an opportunity to give. They begged Paul for that opportunity. And then they gave as much as they were able and even beyond. They gave to the Lord because God touched their hearts and then they gave to Paul. This is where joy and service And generosity always starts. It always starts when God touches our hearts. And so I think it's important to remember that the key is to fall in love with God. And then out of that love overflows a response. And that response is generosity. Now, the Grow the Good campaign, in my mind, is not primarily about dollars. It's not primarily about new carpet. It's not primarily about getting a new sound system fixing the roof or putting air conditioning units on the building. It's not primarily about paying assessments or paying down debt. It's not primarily about anything. What it's primarily about is this. Our hearts 
Does God want to shape us into people who are more generous? And as a result of that, then shape us into a people who are more joyous and more grateful. It seems to me that's part of what God wants to do. If you look at the brochure that's in the, out, in the bulletin there, you'll see the little outline that John went through. You'll see that there's a lot of items on there. They're important items. They're items that we use regularly. They're items that make this building a good, useful tool. We think it's important to keep these things updated and cared for and refreshed where they need to go. But the good that we're trying to grow is not a big, fancy building. The good that we're trying to grow is people who love God and love the neighborhood. And we can do that by becoming more generous. That's how God can grow our hearts. Rejoicing even though our hearts might ache, serving even though we're in a call that might be difficult or a time that might be troubling, giving our resources even though they're limited, this all grows our hearts. It grows our faith. It grows our love, our love for God and love for each other. These Philippians are an example of someone who experienced that firsthand. Out of love, they gave to God according to their ability and beyond They were giving above and beyond gifts, which is really what we're asking for this campaign. Not your normal offerings, not your normal gifts, but above and beyond gifts. That's what we're asking for. And they do. And they do it without show, without competition, without gimmicks. No one applied any pressure on them. They just simply felt the call of God and they gave. This is what we're hoping the response will be to the Grow the Good campaign. That God's Spirit will stir up amongst us that he'll work on our hearts, and then at some point you'll feel a, a nudge, a prompt of the Spirit to say, hey, my heart could grow to be more generous, and so I'm going to give, and I'm going to give whatever God calls me to give. One more passage that Paul gives right after this encouragement to the Corinthians. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's our goal, to grow the good. And I'm sure that the good grows when we smile even though our hearts ache, when we serve even though our calling is difficult, and when we give even though we don't think we're able to give. The good grows. So let's pray. Lord God, we give you thanks because you are a good God and you have blessed us. And we give you thanks, not the sarcastic thanks, but the thanks a lot, God, for all the ways that you have blessed us Thank you even for this time. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who's present in this room to take these truths to our hearts. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came as our sacrifice once for all. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.